Welcome to Tarot Talk with Shannon and Kathy. How are you today, Kathy? Happy December. I'm excited. Me too. I like We're it. in the winter horror season. I like it. I like it. I have I have several movies. And I've added ones along the way, but I have like Christmas horror movies that I oh, want to yeah. watch every year. Or like just like winter horror. Yeah, or yeah. winter horror. Exactly. Like 30 Days of Night. I, that's is, on my list. Is on the list of just winter horror. It's a vampire flick. Really great. But... Holiday ones specifically, I would say I really like to watch the Krampus movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the most more recent Krampus it's movie. It's so good. It's a good one. And I have a tradition with some some folks on Discord where we watch the movie Slithmas, which is a <laughs> terrible movie. It's kind of like Thanksgiving yeah. where you just you can't not I mean I cannot not watch it, really. It's awful. Uh but I also like a, Chris, a Christmas horror story is really. Yep. I think I, I we think watched really, that last year. I think it's a really solid one. I, I try to program that one because I really like it. Yeah, and then I would say my newest one that I've like discovered in the last several years is a movie called Rare Exports. Okay, a Christmas tale. It's it's absolutely one of my favorites. It's actually from 2010. It's like. 84 minutes long deadpan comedy and Christmas horror basically together. Okay. I, I just want to read the description because I love this movie. It's a Finnish movie and I can't get enough of it. When I watched it last year, I was like, Oh, it's a whole year before. I mean, obviously you can watch as many times as you want, but mm-hmm. I don't want to get cashed out on movies, <clears throat> right? Like you want to, you want to rediscover them every year. Of course. <laughs> uh, a young boy named, um, uh, Pieteri, yeah, and his friend Husso, I don't know, think a secret mountain drilling project near their home in northern Finland has uncovered the tomb of Santa Claus. So you got snow, you got, it's Finland for Christ's sake, it's snowy, it's cold, but then you also have the tomb of Santa Claus. Awesome. However, this a monstrous evil Santa, much unlike the cheery Saint Nick of legend when Pieteri's father captures a feral old man in his wolf trap the man may hold the key to why reindeer are being slaughtered and children are disappearing wow it's a christmas horror story yeah it is except it's not that movie it's a movie called rare exports and it's my favorite christmas horror cool what about you what do you like to uh i'm gonna have to put gremlins on my list oh for sure i like gremlins the original Black Christmas. I talk about it on every episode, even if we're not in the Christmas holiday. So that one is right up there as one of my favorite scary movies, but especially around this time of year. Krampus, obviously, yes. You know, I like some of the, the. I don't watch them religiously every year, but, oh, oh, and then Better Watch Out. I love Better Watch Out, mm-hmm. 2016. Uh, that's a really fun one that um, is somewhat new-ish and now one that i regularly watch yeah and as you guys i think i mentioned it last week kathy and i are gonna do a double feature just yeah. for kathy of those two movies black christmas and better watch out those are great ones in the discord and then obviously we have like you know the silent night deadly night ones if you just want to put that on in the background is just <laughs> christmas horror garbage but right classics yeah yep. no i know you like the classics. there's one on here i've never seen but now i'm really interested in it called who slew auntie rue oh. from 1972 oh, oh it even rhymes oh it's your jam sounds like it's your jam shelly winters who's Old known slop. as auntie rue has a holiday tradition of inviting orphans to her mansion is she gonna cook them up in a pie and oh, do a song well obviously one of them slews auntie rue hope so i mean 
That's why we're tuning in, really. Today on the show, we are going to talk about, (laughs) we are starting the Nightmare on Elm Street festivities. The first and second movies in that franchise, we're in our the meat of our show today, we are going to talk about the first two movies in that series, and then we are going to go forward and talk about a couple of movies every couple of weeks and get our make our way through Nightmare on Elm Street, much like we did with the Mr. Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th. And then after that, here's my pitch to Kathy. She doesn't know I'm going to say this probably, oh. is I would like to do the Scream franchise yes, after you that. you don't have to ask me twice. Because in January, the new we have a new one coming out. So I'm going to try to time it correctly. We might not quite make it. I'm. Uh, we're going to make it. We're going we're gonna to time it so that we can do the Scream franchise just before it comes out. Okay. Are you, you game? To, yeah, you don't even yell at me about I it. I can, and I will. I'll celebrate it. I'm so glad. What, what you got? You want to do your resource? I know you had a resource. You were oh, yeah. So, like I said on the last episode, those yeah. there are many of us who, after Halloween, mm. we don't stop. <laughs> no. We don't stop. We don't stop. I found a resource for people called the scarefactor.com. Mm. It is the haunted house directory for the country. And you can find haunted houses all year round. So you go to this. All the states are there that are available for a year round haunted houses. You put in the haunt name or or a keyword. You put the city. That's optional. And state. That's optional too. You might be open to traveling everywhere. And maybe the haunt type. That's an option as well. Maze, charity haunt, escape room. And then you hit the search key. And the world is yours. Wow, that sounds fun. Yeah. I hope you drag me to something somewhere. I'm going to start playing around with this and just see what what we have like yeah. all year round. Because I'm, I'm game. Because spring really kind of gets dull. I know. Let's go with the spring. Spring we're, is too We're going to try to zhuzh it up. We need to zhuzh it up with some horror. It's, we're going to try. Too many flowers and blue skies. Yeah, too pleasant. Yeah, no. Too, especially, well, in California. I can't speak yeah. for anywhere else. But here... Way too pleasant. Some people at least get rain. I know. Ugh. That's all right. We'll we'll enjoy the pleasant while finding the darkness. That's right. Okay. I was going to talk to you about a little story that I was exposed oh, to. Oh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not just yet. Catman on trial for murder in Argentina expelled from the courtroom for meowing. <laughs> Buenos Aires. Sometime in October, a man accused of killing his mother and aunt in Argentina, dubbed, quote unquote, the cat man by local media, was thrown out of a courtroom in the city of Mendoza on Tuesday. Well, this is back in October. After refusing the judge's order to stop meowing like a feline during his trial, Nicholas Jill Perig, who is originally from Israel, is accused of a double homicide of his relatives who were visiting from Israel in 2019. He had previously asked the judge if he could have his own pet cats with him in the psychiatric hospital, whereas he is being held during his trial. In a video released by the Mendoza District Attorney's Office, he begins to imitate the meow of a cat in courtroom while refusing to answer questions from prosecutors. 
Mr. Gilperig, before the entry of the jury, I warned you that if you wanted to remain in the courtroom, you should do so in silence with respect and decorum, said the judge. Oh, my God. <laughs> before ejecting him. Local media said his lawyers are expected to ask the court to declare him mentally incompetent to face criminal charges. I just thought we should share that. I got that little story from Pepper. I believe she posted that I was going to say, that sounds like a Pepper story. Yeah, she posts things in our, we have a true crime channel in the Discord, and she posts things there, and I try to pluck some out and share them with you. Thanks, Pep. Because they're delightful. Yeah. You had something you wanted to share. So remember one of the horror facts with Kath in the last few weeks, there was a question around the original Annabelle doll was based on Raggedy Ann. Right. Okay. So here is where Shannon and I weirdly connect without speaking about things. Share the same brain. (laughs) So I came in today and I said, guess what, Shan? Hmm. I have something to share with our audience around the original story of how Raggedy Ann Mm -hmm. became the Annabelle doll. Yeah. And she said, well, look to your right. And she has Raggedy Ann and Andy sitting on a fucking chair <laughs> looking at me. They're the original dolls that are big. So they're almost as big as Kathy. Hopefully this is not the one that's cursed and should be encased and says, please do not ever, ever, ever open. No, I didn't go anywhere to get those. Okay. So my mommy gave those to me. <laughs> I, I think I had a Raggedy Ann, uh, maybe a Raggedy Andy, but I'm pretty sure I had a Raggedy Ann growing up as well. I don't know if she was as big as this one, but the one that Shannon has in, in our studio is the exact same size as the one that allegedly yeah. became possessed. And Andy's there too. Andy's there too, but Andy was not possessed. So <laughs> Of course, because only women are histy. So let's, let's talk about why Raggedy Ann... This only this specific doll, not Raggedy Ann in general. So if you have a Raggedy Ann at home, don't be too freaked out. It's this very specific one. Let's talk a little bit about how we got there. So very brief. The dolls are listening. Yeah. So created over 100 years ago, 1915 to be precise, the Raggedy Ann doll is one of the most famous and well-known vintage toys. With its cute triangle nose and thick red hair, the doll was a hit amongst children from the very beginning many of us today though know a darker creepier side to the lovable dolly the annabelle story and the subsequent movies may have told us a lot but is there even more to the doll's history and so this is coming from an article called annabelle and beyond the dark history of raggedy ann dolls by fiona dodwell from uh june 18th i'd just like to say before i read this that anytime a doll as cute as her or like a stuffed animal anytime i hear any like possession story it actually makes me really sad Mm. because it's just like it's supposed to be this innocent thing for children you know so to learn more and she's super cute to learn more we have to travel back to new england in the 1950s in portland massachusetts a 40 year old mother and her 12 year old daughter were brutally killed in the hands of a man they knew and loved as husband and father oh That never happens. Mm -hmm. Douglas P. Adams, 37, had lived with his wife and their children, Caroline, or their child, Caroline, in their New England home for many years. Few who knew the family would have ever dreamt of the nightmare that would become a hard, cold reality when local news reports confirmed the grisly details. According to a copy of the Boston Evening American newspaper of May 1953, 
Douglas P. Adams used a carving knife to slice the throats of both his wife and daughter in a violent attack that later admitted had no cause or reason. So that's bizarre in itself. Mm -hmm. He told authorities at the time, legally, I am guilty, but morally, that's a different story. Analyzed in our modern times, that unusual statement struck some social media sleuths as strange. A few began wondering if the perpetrator could have been under spiritual influence of dark energy or perhaps even possessed. That's a big stretch for most people to get their heads around, but the reason for the lap in their conclusion, a life-size Raggedy Ann doll was found sitting on a chair, looking down upon the body of the murdered child. This crime was was 17 years before the infamous Annabelle doll took center stage in the same region. According to early stories about the Annabelle doll, the large toy was inhabited by the spirit of a young girl who had died tragically. The Boston Evening American report stated the girl's body was sprawled on the floor. At her feet was a mystery novel. A life-size Raggedy Ann sat on the chair facing her. In a confession by Douglas P. Adams, the unemployed man said he had been planning the crime for a full three days before finally launching his brutal attack. And not even he understood why he wanted to harm his loved ones. Mm -hmm. The doll caught people's attention. It may have seemed an odd thing to make note of in a news report that the Raggedy Ann was present at the crime scene seems unremarkable as if a pair of shoes or a box of tissues were around. Yet that one mention was enough to spark up interest, especially in light of the darker legends involving Raggedy Ann dolls. Hmm, That's fascinating. And I'm thinking it's just not surprising that some of the dolls that I would have liked the most when I was a kid would be like the darkness. Yeah. And if you go to this, uh, you can look up the actual doll is in case. And there is a a note on the outside of the case that, that tells people to never open the case. Okay. Yeah, and I think I think it's in a museum or something at this point, but yeah. Well, and that's what they depict in the movie The Conjuring yeah. is of course it's a different looking doll. They mm-hmm. didn't use Raggedy Ann and Andy in the in that movie, but and they have it in their these ghost hunters have it in their encased in their room and all of that. So Right. Ooh, scary. So there you go. I have another true crime moment. Nobody's meowing this time. A Texas nurse was convicted Tuesday, meaning not Tuesday. It always says these in these news articles. I got to catch myself before I say Tuesday. But a Texas nurse was convicted of capital murder in the deaths of four patients who died after prosecutors say he injected them with air following heart surgeries. Yeah, this freaked me out because it was in Texas and my dad had heart surgery last year. And I'm just like, oh, who's this Dr. Death? Thank you, little baby Jesus. Yeah. The Smith County jury deliberated for about an hour before finding William George Davis of Hallsville guilty of capital murder involving multiple victims. Prosecutors plan to seek the death penalty during the sentencing phase, which was scheduled to start. 37 years old, accused of injecting air into four different patients' arteries after they underwent heart surgery at Christus Trinity Mother Francis Hospital in Tyler, Texas. It was in 2017 and 2018, which was the part where I went, oh, okay. Yeah, well before. During recovery from their surgeries, the four people suffered unexplained neurological problems and died. During the trial, a Dallas aeropulmonologist and professor of internal medicine explained to the jury how injecting air into the arterial system of the brain causes brain injury and death. He said 
he was able to determine that there was error in the arterial system of the victim's brains by viewing images of the brain scans, something he said he had never before observed in his decades in medicine. He had ruled out blood pressure problems or any other causes of death before even checking this, because, of course, why would you? This wouldn't be your first go-to, because we even the medical community operates by the easiest explanation is the one you want to get first, because it's usually that, yeah. and then, then there's these moments in time. So the defense attorney told the jury that the hospital had issues and that Davis was a scapegoat who was only charged because he was there when the deaths occurred. In closing arguments from the prosecution, they said that Davis liked to kill people and blah, blah, blah. So then what ended up happening during sentencing, he was sentenced to death. So he was found guilty of capital murder and he was sentenced to death Mm. for killing those four people by injecting them with air. Damn. Right. That's really scary. I mean, that's a type of serial killing we've we've talked about on the show, the doctors of death type of thing. Yep. Often those that pathology is a nurse. We happen to have talked about doctors of death, but many, many, many true crime stories. Jeez Louise. Yeah. I mean, Texas is one of the 24 states that still has a death penalty, so there they are. There they are. And he's on death row. Wow. All right. The very next thing we would very much like to do is a little segment that we like to call <laughs> Delightful. And if you would like to do it like I do, is I write all of the little questions and my guesses at the answers, and then at the end of the show, Kathy tells us what her answers are. They don't always make sense. <laughs> I don't always make sense. <laughs> Agreed. Me neither. Okay. Go for it. Oh, hit the mic. Number one. This 1980s popular toy company created their version of a monster shop. It looked interesting enough to pass as a true action figure playset. Hmm. And even the cranking tool that gave your monsters hair had hinted at the sensibility of a torture device. Ooh, neato. Number two. (laughs) This horror director suffered from ovophobia, a fear of eggs. Chicken eggs in particular terrified him. Mm, Okay. Number three. Did he put it in the movies? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Okay. What subgenre of horror consists of the identity of the killer being a key plot point, and many of the characters are not quite what they seem. (laughs) Sadly, does not narrow it down for me. Okay. Because I don't know the answer. Number four. What is Krampus's weakness? (laughs) Okay. And number five. The role ended up going to Johnny Depp, but what similar aged peer almost won the role of Glenn in Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, fun. Fun fact. Fun fact. On topic. Krampus and Nightmare on Elm Street. Thank it's that you, time Kathy, for being your fabulous self. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back with, well, Freddy Krueger, ladies and gentlemen.
a wackadoo, you know that? Yeah. We're back. We're going to talk about A Nightmare on Elm Street and A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, kicking off our discussions of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And I think these films do it quite well. (laughs) Not that they're good movies, but that they kick it off quite well. So A Nightmare on Elm Street is 1984, you know, 91 minutes long, widely loved, reviewed well. It's an intelligent premise, in my opinion. And we just talked about sleep paralysis last week. Yeah. So, you know, you see how I did that? I think it's really relevant to the nightmare on Elm Street. I saw how you did that. So in Wes Craven's classic slasher film, several Midwestern teenagers fall prey to Freddy Krueger, played by Robert England, who's awesome. A disfigured midnight mangler who preys on the teenagers in their dreams, which in turn kills them in reality. After investigating the phenomenon, Nancy begins to suspect that a dark secret kept by her and her friend's parents may be the key to unraveling the mystery. But can Nancy and her boyfriend, Glenn, played by Johnny Depp, by the way, solve the puzzle before it's too late? Introducing Johnny Depp. Shit, yeah, it was. You see how young he was? My goodness. (laughs) Yes, and we'll find out at the end of the show, who was almost cast in that role. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much. Freddie has, over the course of the whole series, mm. he, his backstory becomes, we don't, we don't find out as much of it in the first one. He's actually only in seven minutes. Yes, the first one is not about him. You notice in the advertising that the right. first film, it's got his glove on the posters and stuff. It's not about him. It's about the teenagers, like the right. teenage slasher, right? But by the second movie, he's in the po- movie poster. <laughs> it became all about Freddy. That's right. <laughs> and then and then as the series unfolds, we find out more and more about his backstory. And as we get closer to the end of the series, which we will watch all of them, mm. we find out about his life a little bit he had a wife yeah you the- know all that stuff so his character develops over time and i think a lot of that is almost like what we found with jason which was through all the different films you know in the original film the killer was his mom and then when jason became this like wow we're going to see this movie because of him i think the same thing happened with freddie it's like he became the center of it and it worked and i just remember as a kid out of uh, as much as halloween was my favorite freddie scared me the most freddie well and Mm -hmm. i mean and pinhead but we're not i'm not throwing hellraiser into this but freddie scared me the most out of the three okay and i think part of it is because sleep is the ultimate comfort and so to think like in a space where you're supposed to be comfortable and safe and all this is where he comes in and absolutely i i mean nightmares coming real you know that that's that taps into all of our psyches right just like with the sleep paralysis issue like your nightmare becoming real and is talking you and you can't move is is horrible and this is either if you're looking at number one where it's you know entering your dreams and killing you in your dreams or entering you he enters in two he enters the main character and then embodies him he possesses him so to speak Mm -hmm. it's really interesting also because one of the things i was struck by is i wonder if it was scary because of the reasons why we like freddie in other words one of the things i think happened is that robert england was so great and became so 
beloved in this role because Freddie is sassy. He talks. And he talks to you and he takes over the scream and he has actually a relationship. He is glee. He's a psychopath. He's gleeful about killing and he wants to kill creatively and he wants to talk to you and he wants to menace you and scare you, but he's charming and Mm -hmm. sassy and funny. And you're like, I like Freddie. I'd be friends with Freddie. And I think that's, and he's very sexualized. I think that's the interesting thing of, of, the psychopathic tendency towards being very seductive and interesting and likable. Yep. And I think that's also what makes him the scariest because mm-hmm. you can run away from Jason because there's a hatchet, mm-hmm. but, and we like him. I like him because of Kane hotter, but otherwise not so likable. Well, and Jason <laughs> and Michael were both, I mean, they come the way that their characters are really developed is through, trauma Mm -hmm. and they're incredibly mentally ill like from day one from day one Mm -hmm. they're both mute like they're they're almost like they're the boogeyman yeah Mm -hmm. freddie happened to be burnt in the boiler room he's a dude who killed children but he was a sex offender yep and a psychopath who's savvy and like you said sassy and can hold a conversation very manipulative and mm-hmm. menacing and mm-hmm. so yeah there's a very different really seductive if you didn't know what he'd done you'd be friends with him at the dinner party this guy could be your neighbor next door I michael and jason were not exactly he's he's in society he has relationships with his victims he talks to them and manipulates mm-hmm. them and all of that and i think that's additionally what you may not have been thinking about as a kid but i think that additionally makes him mm-hmm. more scary For because sure. he will insinuate himself into your lives so this movie in general I like this movie a lot. I like, do too. Like I, the first one we're talking about, I, Wes Craven directed it, as you all know, and wrote it. And, you know, the box office was pretty good for the time. It was something like 60 million, just under 60 million. So I like it. Yeah. And Craven also talked to one of the other pieces, I think, that made Freddie different is he really wanted Freddie to not just like have a knife or a hatchet. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about it, like the the glove mm-hmm. was a very different type of assault. It's his hand. Finger knives. Yeah, which there's, it's way more sexually explicit. Mm-hmm. It's much more, I, I don't know, that it's something terrifying. It's like it's part of him. Yeah, there's a lot of good people in the first one, too. It's like Lynn Shay, Robert Oh, Inglis, yeah, as the teacher. Uh, Johnny Depp. There's all of these people that, you know, became much more famous later. And I think the kills are a ton of fun in this. They you are. Know? You know, even though he's a quote unquote, I think they say in the movie, a filthy child murderer, <laughs> you know, the the bathtub where she oh, yeah. pulls her down and the that famous shot of his hand coming up between her legs, basically mm-hmm. totally sexualized, mm-hmm. right? Her legs are spread open, teenage girl from the bottom of the, you know, from the end of the bathtub when her, his hand comes up out of the, you know, like that's a totally sexualized shot. And, you know, Johnny Depp through the bed and the spewing of the blood. And, I mean, there's just some great kills. Heather Langenkamp is great in this role, too. Yeah. And I know that it really typecasted her, you know, but... That's what the main e- girl, right? Yeah. I mean, but whatever. Like, she was awesome in this and became really known for this role. I mean, this is the Laurie Strode 
mm-hmm. of because she does come back. Yeah, in New Nightmare, um, she was the Laurie Strode of the series. She was the final girl. I think one of the things I also liked about this, like a long time ago, was that I kind of looked like that when I was, oh yeah, <laughs> when I was that age. I had the brown hair with the big eyebrow, you know, the dark, bigger eyebrows. It was very kind of a look of the time, like the Brooke Shields, the mm-hmm. this girl, you know, that that sort of dark, you know, brunette hair kind of a rounder face with the eyebrows. So, you know, when you see yourself on screen, you're kind of like, you know, it it creates an intimacy for you. Yeah. You can identify with her. Yeah. It's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, that's me with my parents in my my little house and, you know, freaking out. Of course, Johnny Depp was not my boyfriend. I think one of the things that scared me so much about this first one too, which obviously they replay it out in the other, the other ones, but it's the first time we see it is in every other horror film. If you're with someone, you can be with them together and get out of the situation or someone can come in and help. The only way to do that in this is to either get into the dream or wake them up. And there's some scenes like, although she and Glenn just live across the street from each other, there are times where like they can't help each other. Even if they're in the same vicinity, they can't help each other. This person's really, I mean, that's why I think it's really, you know, great that we did the sleep paralysis episode because this person is locked into this and not just by some sort of neurological or whatever sleep state. There's a demon in there who's pulling them for the, and, and they are waking up slashed and cut and some of them don't wake up at all. And that's terrifying where you can be in the same room with the person. You can't help them out of the situation because the, the perpetrator is not even present. It's in the person's sleep. Right. It's just terrifying. Yeah. And sometimes that's why it's sometimes it doesn't drive together when they, when they eradicate him sometimes, because the whole idea, and this happened with some of the sleep paralysis movies where you enter someone's dream or if you, they come up with these like wild kind of bullshit premises of like, well, if you're asleep and I give you this injection or if you're asleep and I wake you up at the exact right moment, then we can enter the dream and then he comes yeah. out and it never holds no. together for me. Like, so I can't, <laughs> there's, well, we'll see throughout these movies because there's some that I haven't seen in this franchise for sure. So We'll see if it ever, if I'm ever satisfied with like how he gets killed. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so if we transition to Freddy 2 and how that ends, we're just skipping ahead to the ending and then we'll go back. But like Mm -hmm. how that ends where, you know, he's possessed the guy, the main guy. And then she, the final girl in that burns him to death. And then it's like a like a little casket of ash or whatever. And then he kind of wipes it away and gets up and he's okay. That wasn't too bad. No. I mean, the second movie, not widely well received, not, not reviewed well. (laughs) So very different, but also it's like, okay, well I, I see how, I mean, it's not reality based. Obviously I'm not looking for that, but just something that kind of drives together. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I guess it can kind of make sense that, you know, he was embodied and that fire, because fire is this this guy's, you know, secondary trauma, I'd say. His, mm-hmm. ad, his adult trauma is having been burned to death, mm-hmm. kills the possession of him. So that made that kind of jive to okay. me so far. You know, I think in the second one, they the characters are are not as likable. I mean, obviously, we have uh, I forget the actor's name at the moment who ends up doing 
you know, they end up doing a documentary on him, Scream Queens. Yeah, I'll Mark Patton. Okay, Mark, pa- I think it's Mark Patton. Yeah, it is. He he was the main character, but there was his the the rest of the characters in the movie are really just characters to be killed. Yeah. In the first movie, yeah. Glenn and Nancy are are the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't want to see them die. I didn't no. really care if Mark Patton died. Right. Honestly, you don't you don't really care about him in that movie. It's just the way it's written, right? Yeah. No, no fault of Mark. And Patton's, like like but. you said, this is all all then becomes more about Freddie. And there's so much sexual ambiguity in the second one, right? And they there's a whole documentary on it, which they you know is Mark Patton's character gay? Is he not gay? Is he ha- you know they they really played into the that culture, I think, in a very subtle way because they couldn't explicitly talk about sexuality they could slice and dice and molest people and you know rape teenagers but they couldn't talk about having a gay character at that time it's really crazy isn't it yeah that that documentary is really good it's great so and there's also an episode on freddy krueger in the behind the monster series on shutter Mm -hmm. so there's there's that there's another nightmare on elm street documentary that i'm forgetting the name of right now and then there's also uh mark patton's documentary that's still on shutter as well so if you wanted to kind of it's pretty emotional actually yeah yeah, I thought mm-hmm. it was really good because he was really vilified after being in he this was. movie and he talks about how for him it ruined his career yeah. type of thing crazy? because this movie was thought to be gay. Quote now, right. so I so I watch this and I see what they're saying because there's like one kill that's yeah. that's in the shower, naked guy and uh-huh. there's like slapping his ass and stuff and he's it's kind of a BDSM thing where he's like hanging from the shower and he's naked yeah. and they kind of and they kill him there and then you just see him sort of hanging there and it's it's got a it's got a feel to it, I guess. Well, and then there's like a the debatable relationship with his best friend. Mm-hmm. There's that. Mm-hmm. He he tends to be kind of physically close and Mm -hmm. they wrestle and things, you know, there's a kind of, kind of a homoeroticism that's there between them. And then also there's a couple of scenes where he dances around his bedroom and and all of that. And for a young man of that time, that seemed gay, I suppose to people because now you could do that in movies all over mm-hmm. the place and no one is going to necessarily say, Ooh, that's gay or Look whatever. At Tom Cruise and risky yeah. business. Yeah. It was just of the time. Yeah. It, it's like just for that particular, you know, 85, 1985 right. when it came out, it just, we just quite weren't quite there yet. Well, and they made him a very soft character. They did. Right. He was, I think it would have been different if he came off with all this like toxic masculinity or even like more macho, but because he was, an empath and he was quote unquote softer. I think that just implied that he must be gay. Yeah. I mean, he had a gentler presence obviously Mm -hmm. than, than Tom Cruise did back in the day. And, and like you said, even though, and, and I'm saying now it's like, even though those movies, you know, all the right moves and those kinds of movies, risky business, et cetera, actually came out before, I'm looking it up now. It mm-hmm. was in an 83 movie. So it came out before too. Those kinds of things were different. But if you watch the dance scene in Risky Business and the dance scene in Freddy 2. It's different. Very different. Yeah. And I think those two men bring their personalities to those two dance scenes. Mm-hmm. And they, there's a there's a nightclub they go to and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. So. Mm-hmm. And then he was vilified for that, right. which is awful. And right. that documentary really talks about it, lots of interviews with him yep. and, and how that went. So, But also, this movie, 
a lot of great kills in this movie and you yeah. get the sassy freddy that we know and well, love now this is this is where he starts yeah you get more kills it starts to get more grotesque i think and the funny in funny the first one was i think more psychologically terrifying yeah but this is now where it gets this is where the slasher part starts to come in this is the sophomore effort like the second yeah. movie is often you know nobody likes it as much it's kind of goes off the train right <laughs> or off the track sorry it just goes you know it becomes all about freddie instead of about the characters which is it's kind of the way it goes usually in yeah. the second third fourth fifth For sure. movies he's very quotable it's funny mm -hmm. but also some of the kills are a lot of fun he walks around on fire a lot yeah <laughs> So there's that. Freddy's fun. He's now as an adult, he's really fun to watch. But as a kid, he was, I was, it was fun to be scared by him and his know, voice. Sure. I know it's really good. His voice is so good. It's he really used to, good. Uh, Robert England used to go home in his makeup and scare the crap out of his wife, which I think is so funny. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense to me. Honestly. I mean, get something out of it. Yeah. I'm sure he wasn't getting paid that much money at that I, time. I met, so. I met someone who had worked with him on a film and just said he's just such a cool dude. Yeah, you see him in all the documentaries and stuff and he just yeah. seems like an awesome guy. I, I really appreciate the metaphor of the idea of what we give energy to. This is in the first movie. What we give energy to consumes and haunts us. You know, and they really kind of go into that a little bit in the first movie. And, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the metaphor that's going on with dreams and the way they try to get out of it is, you know, take a, Johnny Depp says something like, you know, like, take all that energy back. And at one point she does the spell. Right. And she says, I take all my she looks Freddie in the eye and she says, I take all my energy back from you. All of the energy that I gave to you and concentrated on you, I take all of it back. And that's kind of the first way she walks away from him and he doesn't kill her. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, other things ensue and end up happening. So it kind of gets lost. But that's her first. She looks him in the eye. They do a tight shot of her. And she says, I take all my energy back. And it's kind of like, that's like just a metaphor for negativity and dreams and all it, that. It, it has a very similar feel to the movie It, mm -hmm. where it was like, you actually are in control of your fears. Because Freddie is just that, right? He's just a fear. Right. And, and the embodiment of a fear, like Pennywise, which is the embodiment of a child fear. Right. And yeah, no, that's the psychology of it for sure. And then the second one, uh, the most, you know, infamous line was, you know, you've got the body and I've got the brains. And that just became one of Freddie's, you know, biggest, you know, he was known for that. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back with some horror. We'll be right back. time i play that music i feel like a metal god yeah i just see mannequins uprising <laughs> that's our house band mannequin uprising doing those tunes i don't know i feel like standing up and like putting my arms up like like i would let you at the, yeah just for it, you yeah because you're the only one here so it's just for you <laughs> all right we are talking uh horror books and psychology and horror watches. This and, is the and book horror the facts with Kath. And horror facts with Kath. So it's it's all those things in our last segment of the day. 
how about we do the brain stuff first? You talk your brain stuff. Yeah. So continuing from the book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, Dr. Barrett, no pun intended, not me. Oh, you picked up that book because that lady has your name. I actually think it's annoying because then I have to be like, it's not, this is not my, no. <laughs> Every really, time you yeah. have to say it. Um, you don't have to. But. Yeah, I just would never talk about myself in third person. <laughs> not a psychopath. No? No. Mm. So last week we were talking about how she goes on to talk about the myth of the triune brain and, and really that's just a a very old, outdated concept saying, you know, to believe that the trying brain is, is to award ourselves a first prize trophy for best species, which is not the case. Mm. Um, but she also then goes on to talk about, you know, how the concept of the trying brain really is to make the human species sound more rational okay. than other species. Right. And she says, but what is rational behavior anyway? Traditionally, it's the absence of emotion. Thinking is viewed as a rational, as rational, excuse me, mm-hmm. whereas emotion is supposedly irrational, mm-hmm. which we, I think, is a very socialized concept, mm-hmm. first of all, right? But, it, but it's very true in a lot of ways. We see this very polarized even in politics. But she says, but that isn't necessarily so. So for those of you out there who suffer from anxiety, panic attacks, or are very emotionally sensitive people, this is for you. She says, sometimes emotion is rational. Like when you feel afraid because you're in imminent danger. And sometimes thinking is not rational. Mm. Like when you scroll through social media for hours, telling yourself you're bound to come across something important. Mm. She goes on to then say, If there was no danger and your body prepared to flee anyway, would that be irrational behavior? It depends on context. Suppose you're a soldier in a war zone where threats appear on a regular basis. It's appropriate for your brain to frequently predict threat. It may sometimes guess incorrectly and flood you with cortisol, which is a stress hormone, when there's no danger, which is what those of us who get panic attacks, that's what happens. In one sense, we could view this false alarm as needless, spending of resources that you may need later and therefore irrational. But in a war zone, this false alarm may be rational from a body budgeting standpoint. You might waste a bit of glucose or other resources in the moment, but over the long run, you are more likely to survive. This is a great twist on emotion. And then the last part I'll read, she says, these ideas, and this is where it really comes into a lot of the work I do. These ideas, if taken seriously, could shake the foundations of all sorts of sacred institutions in our society. In the law, for example, attorneys plead that their clients' emotions are overwhelmed their reason in the heat of passion, and therefore they aren't fully to blame for their actions. But feeling distressed is not evidence of being irrational, or that your so-called emotional brain has hijacked your supposed rational brain, distress can be evidence that your whole brain is expending resources toward an anticipated payoff. Hmm. It's a great reframe. Yeah. So I really like that because we, I think we do talk about emotions and intellect in very polarized or dichotomous ways. So mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Right on. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. So as you guys know from last week, we finished Voices in the Snow, Darcy Coates' four-book series so far. I don't, I'm not on the fourth book, so we have no idea if it ends there. But, but there's four so far. 
of the voice the it's actually called a black black winter is the name of the series and so i wanted to just introduce the second book because what ended up happening is that we enjoyed it and because it's a series and one of the reasons why i thought it uh, was be of the short list that i got from ice uh, for his pick because I usually ask people to give me three, four, five uh, choices, and then we kind of just try to figure out which one would be the best for our book club. I picked it for lots of reasons. One, because you've talked about Darcy Coates a lot on the show. Two, because it's like winter set, Mm -hmm. and we're moving into that. And three, because it was the beginning of a series, and I thought, well, if it's any good, look at that. We've introduced ourselves to a series, and then we we can go on. So that is what happened, is that Ice and myself and Kathy actually liked the book, and And there might be others in the book club that might continue, but so we're going to read the second one. And so we've started to do that. So I just wanted to introduce it a little bit. The second one in the series is called Secrets in the Dark, a Black Winter novel. You can't outrun the stillness. Winterborn Hall is not safe. Even as Claire and Doran, Doran? I call him Doran. In my head, it's Doran. Yeah, in my head, it's Doran too. Okay, Doran. Scramble to secure the ancient building against ravenous hollow ones. That's the creatures that are in this novel, this novel series. They face something far worse. Claire's sister has made contact, but she's trapped and her oxygen is running out. Hundreds of miles separate Claire from Beth. The land between them is infested with monsters and the roads are a maze of dead ends. Claire has to choose between making a journey she knows she might not survive or staying safe in Winterborn and listening as her sister slowly suffocates. Oh, God. At least whatever her choice, she'll have Doran by her side. And yet there are eyes in the dark. There are whispers in the mist, which is actually the name of the third book. There is danger lurking in the snow and one false step could end it all. I'm really, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. Yep. And that's kind of what you, you know, you figure out that in the first book, they she tells a story that is a great horror story and it's wrapped up nicely, but you also know that they're going to have to leave the hall and they're yep. going to have to leave the house and there's going to be a bigger story at large because there's apocalyptic themes. And so that's where it's going. I'm all yeah. about it. Yeah. I like how she writes personally. So that's the second one. I also, you know, I wanted to share. Shannon has about 40 books on her desk right now. She's reading all of them. (laughs) I wanted to share a tiny little book haul for those of you who like short horror. I picked up a few things. I picked up Black Lotus, an infamous novella by Quan, and it looks fun. A detective James Wolfe earned the nickname Lone Wolf from his inability to work with a partner. He's a hard cop who doesn't mind bending the rules to the point of breaking them, which is why Internal Affairs is digging into his past. Which side of the law is the Lone Wolf really on? From the moment he arrives at his latest crime scene, Wolfe knows that he's in over his head. A priest was butchered and left for dead inside his own church. The only lead is the killer's calling card, a black lotus flower left at the crime scene the detective now has the opportunity to quietly track and stop the black lotus before the next victim is claimed in exchange for wiping his service record clean accepting this case started as detective wolf's attempt to get internal affairs off of his back but when his hunt for the black lotus leads him to a cold case from his own past the investigation takes a dramatic turn Hmm. and there are these little books i don't know if you guys have ever read Quan before but um like this is 158 pages. That's cool. Yeah, it's tiny. 
Yeah, I also wanted to share, There's. I'm going to read The Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke, which was made into a movie. It's a, a small little, <laughs> the tagline on the back is sadomasochism, obsession, and death. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Uh, it was made into a movie, and it's got a very strange kind of way it's laid out for those of you guys who know that book. So I'm I'm looking forward to digging into that. I also bought, Stephen King's Shawshank Redemption novella. Oh, wow. So they put all of Stephen King's, it's like with this font that you're looking at, all they put all of his novellas out as onesies. So okay. that's a fun way to make money, right? Yeah. But that means you can buy the little onesie, take it with you on the train. You know, like this story is 111 pages long, the Shawshank yeah. Redemption. So it's like, that's a quick read. And I actually never read the source material. Okay. But it's a movie that most people I know will stop and watch on a Sunday afternoon if they flip by that's it. That's a good one. I also bought an anthology. <laughs> I don't know. Do you like short horror? Have you I ever? do. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> this one, uh, Pepper would hate this. Okay, it's one of so, the reasons I love I love Edgar Allan Poe. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Body shocks, extreme tales of body horror. Ooh. So, and there's a but there's uh, five, ten, fifteen different authors listed on the front, and it's an anthology. It's a pretty big book. That is a of, big book, of course. In the the stories, you know, like a normal size, three hundred seventy six pages, which is about a, a novel these days. Mm -hmm. But these are short, short horror. I also got. Let's see, what is this one? Nothing but blackened teeth by Cassandra. It's a cool cover. Caw. And the little quote from the New York Times bestselling author N.K. Jameson is brutally delicious. Yeah. The cover that Kathy's talking about is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Masterfully turning the classic haunted house story on its head. Nothing but blackened teeth is a sharp and devastating exploration of grief, the parasitic nature of relationships, and the consequences of our actions. And then there's mm. a bunch of like good reviews and stuff. So it's creepy haunted house, but it's Japanese folklore. Yeah. So creepy. I'm loving that. There's two more here. Mapping the interior is Stephen Graham Jones is a short one by him. So Stephen Graham Jones is the guy who wrote the very good Indians. Is that the one we're reading? Yeah. <laughs> Where's my, I'm getting my books mixed up. He's the one that wrote the only good Indians, which we're reading for book club. Now this is called mapping the interior, emotionally raw, disturbing, creepy, and brilliant. You will not be unmoved. So it's a novella. Let's see what this one. Uh, yeah. 108 pages, right? A horrifyingly inward-looking novel, Mapping the Interior, a great title, mm -hmm. is a literary horror tale about race and America deeply rooted in the contemporary Native American experience. So, mm. you know, that yep. is the, you yep. know, you see his bent. Yeah. Blackfeet author Stephen Graham Jones delves into his character's conflicted feelings toward the ancestry, haunted as they are by a ghost of the father whose death severed their ties to the reservation. So... Walking through his own house at night, a 15-year-old thinks he sees a person in full Blackfeet regalia step through a doorway. Instead of the people who could be there, his mother or his brother, the figure reminds him of his long-gone father, who died mysteriously before his family left the reservation. When he follows it, he discovers his house is bigger and deeper than he knew. Mm. I'm excited because it's a haunted house thingy. Mm -hmm. 
And then the last one here is a collection of 50 creepy stories. It's a little tiny book and it's Darcy Coates and it's called Small Horrors. <laughs> that sounds funny. I know. It's cute. Um, okay. So there's 50. Let me see here. Yep. She's got them all listed at the front. There's 50 stories. The whole book is only 355 pages long. So you've got little tiny bits of horror, oh, little cool. short stories, and it's by Darcy Coates, which is the person who wrote Voices in the Snow and a bunch of books that Kathy's read. So that is my short horror haul. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Tell us if you've read any of these or you like that or whatever. If you like book hauls, I'm all about the book hauls. I know they're very popular on YouTube, doing book hauls, doing movie hauls, talking about what you bought and what you plan to read. So that's my version of it. What did you watch? I watched a couple things. The first one I'll talk about is a movie from 2016 called mm -hmm. The Neighbor. All right. Uh, I liked this. Set in Cutter, Mississippi, the film follows a man who discovers the dark truth about his neighbor and the secrets he may be keeping in the cellar. So this, uh, this guy and his girlfriend are basically drug dealers. Hmm. They... Start the movie starts off that they're trying to make enough money doing this job to kind of get out, get a house, get away from this work. Um, so they're both really street smart, badass characters. They really her character is amazing, and I re what I one of the things I love about their relationship is. It, it has that 300 feel where mm. he's not just like the big guy and he takes care of the little lady. Like he looks at her like what, do, you know, it's a t true partnership, yeah. like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Like she's just as savvy, just as not, maybe not just as physically strong, but sure. th together they're really strong as this couple and they're likable mm. and they live next door to this guy who from the very beginning is really creepy older guy who when they move in he makes of course an automatic you know comment about i don't see pretty women like you around here very often so you, you kind of get this feel already like this guy's just kind of a weirdo so homeboy goes out for a run and says i'll be right back and once i come back you and i baby we're gonna leave this is our last you know thing he comes back and realizes that she's been taken oh no by the neighbor and he doesn't know that yet, but he starts to figure something's going on in the house next door. And when he goes over, he discovers that this guy has a lot of people chained up in his house. Oh, no. And so it is the story. The characters are well developed. If you like action, it's very bloody. But the fight scenes are super good. And it it's one of those just kind of keeps you. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. You're like <laughs> wanting them to get ahead, you know. Yeah. And they help this, this young guy and this other girl out. And every moment, like this guy and his two sons, who has manipulated his sons into believing they're doing this for good work, right? There's a reason why we're, we're capturing these people. We're stealing from the rich. We deserve this money kind of thing. And anyway, it just, it's one of those like adrenaline pumping movies. That and fun. It, it was a lot of fun. I just found it. I'm like, this sounds kind of cool. Yeah, and you it was, just click, right? I really liked it. Oh, yeah, good. That's awesome. Good. I watched a movie called Araminteri. The Blacksmith and the Devil from 2017. It's a horror fantasy, 98 minutes long. 
generally well received. It's one of those ones that's sort of popular. A blacksmith holds a demon in captivity, torturing it as revenge for his troubles. One day, an orphan girl stumbles upon the demon's enclosure and unwittingly releases it. So mm. it's a Basque uh, movie, so it's got a lot of folklore feel to it. Mm-hmm. So the demon actually has conversations and stuff. Okay. <laughs> so it's not like a horror movie where the demon never talks and we're just scared of it. This is very much a Basque movie and it's fantasy. So you're having conversations. There are scenes in hell, stuff like that. So I say, you know, man, go with it. It's quite, it's bonkers. It's like nutty and ridiculous. And you're kind of like, what the, what am I watching? But it's so, it draws you in. It's dark. It's kind of a little bit crazy. That's fun. There's a demon talking. And then they're at the, you know, there's sections where there's big demons in hell and stuff. So it's pretty cool i sort of like it but just go in knowing it's a fantasy it's basque it's mythology it's pretty great cool it's pretty great i enjoyed it a lot yeah Mm -hmm. right up my alley Mm. i watched a documentary it's quite old at this point from 2006 called going to pieces the rise and fall of the slasher film so the film is a historical and critical look at slasher films which includes dozens of clips beginning with halloween friday the 13th prom night um so many great, great cultural pieces as to how the slasher genre came to be. Talks about the Ronald Reagan years, how films got gorier, budgets got smaller, how the appeal diminished over time, um, how Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, the, just the whole genre, what it, what it did for the genre. Uh, jumps to the late 90s, goes through some of Scream and Wes Craven, there's a, a constant debate between a lot of the the female actors of the slasher throughout the documentary debating back and forth whether they believed it was a misogynistic genre. And they really get into like, if you really look at it, it wasn't because no one was rooting for this woman to get raped or killed. It was really about empowering her to get the hell out. So it really was like the perception of how sure. you wanted to look at it. Got it. Um, which brings this really interesting sort of debate to it. Then there's some really funny parts of it too. <laughs> they go into, well, Tom Savini is interviewed throughout the whole thing and he we know he's just a mastermind at what he did. Um, this is not the funny part yet but he does talk about how his experience in vietnam made him such an expert in knowing how to blow things up and it limbs looking legitimate so he's really brilliant in this and then they they go through um and who is it felisa rose she's like felisa rose she goes this is so ridiculous they interview her because they talk about how when Silent Night, Deadly Night came out, we think about where we are now and what people debate and oppose, okay? Mm -hmm. At this time, the world was so innocent that mothers were calling and protesting this because it made Santa Claus look like a villain and that's all kids had left that they didn't. And and so Felissa Rose is like, first of all, she, and she goes off, she goes, first of all, this is ridiculous. Second of all, monitor what your kids then watch on TV. And she goes on about, it was really funny. Yeah. And then um, the other really funny part is I think it's Jay Lee Thompson who directed happy birthday to me. I think it was him who goes on about how the, He's like, 
we had our our pro our our special effects guy he was like just in love with blood mm-hmm. and he's like we would film these shots and i'd have to stop because there was blood everywhere and we'd have to, and he's like you can't make it this bloody he's like shit's flying all over the walls it's all over the the cast and, and so there's some really really funny parts and it really gives you a good history at how it formed, how it skyrocketed, how it diminished, and then how it transformed in the 90s. And it, it's a lot of fun if you like slashers. So. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun for yeah. any for any horror fan, really, yeah. just to see all of that. That's fun. I like Felissa. She's often on a oh, lot of... She, yeah, she was really she's funny. She's available for a lot of things yeah. these days. She's definitely making a meal out of her career, and I love that about her because she's yeah. a lot of fun and really kind, and she's really kind she, of, in, she, in social media. She also talked about her role in, in um, Sleepaway Camp, and she goes, I didn't even know till I watched it, and I was like, oh, okay, I have a dick. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because it wouldn't have been there. No, it was it was funny though. She goes, I didn't even know that was the part I was playing. Which so, is probably best. Yeah. They I think they had to do that with her she age. She was so and young and everything. Yeah, yeah I can't telegraph so, that. It's really it's a really fun one to watch. Awesome. I also watched a movie called The Deep House, which is a twenty twenty one think if I saw that horror mystery thriller and it's eighty five minutes long and I did program it on the Discord and it's a found footage. And it's uh, amazing. So deep below the surface of a seemingly tranquil remote lake lies a perfectly preserved family home. When a young influencer couple sets out to explore the submerged house to capture uncharted content for their social media followers, their dive turns into a nightmare as they discover a sinister presence. With limited oxygen supply and time running against them, the couple must find a way to escape the underwater house of horrors before it's too late. So it's basically like a haunted house underwater in a lake. And it's so good. I don't know if you watched it with us or not. I'm trying to think if I, I don't think I did. Maybe I, it sounds familiar because I saw you list it. Maybe so. Yeah. You know, it's a haunted house, but it's underwater, mm-hmm. which I think is super cool. Mm-hmm. And it's unsettling. It's eerie. You know, underwater, if you guys have ever, I've, I've scuba dived before, you know, underwater, deep under the water's surface is a pretty otherworldly atmosphere. And it's got a very kind of really creepy vibe to it. And there are things that look like they're thousands of years old on the surface, on the, you know, depths in the depths of the ocean. So it's got that. And it's a found footage and it's for me, it's difficult to find good found footage movies. So I really enjoyed it and I would recommend it. If you like found footage, you definitely have to see it because it's not talked about too much. But if you don't like found footage and you're looking for four or five that that you could actually maybe enjoy, this would be one of them. Hmm. Awesome. Anything else from you? No. I've got one thing I have to talk about and then we're done. We got horror facts. Uh, well, that true. That too. 2021 horror movie, 82 minutes long. It's called Spider in the Attic. It's really bad. A deadly nest of <laughs> <laughs> deadly nest of spiders. But some people like slop. So yeah, I talk about the bad ones because but some people get off on this shit. It's from the United Kingdom, which was kind of I was scared. A deadly nest of spiders lurks in the attic and is about to be awoken by a news reporter and her colleagues. I'll tell you why I was scared. I love the English. I love the United Kingdom. Half my lineage, more than half probably, is from that continent. 
So I have a great affinity for British things and people in the United Kingdom. Same. I've lived there before, you know, like I dig it. Mm-hmm. But I was scared because recently the slop movies that I have watched from that region in the horror land have been like talkies. Remember, I, I, I yeah. talked all about those movies where it's like, okay, now two women sat down and talked on their couch for 15 minutes. <sighs> yeah, the Scarecrow, about, the about scarecrow, scarecrow movie. That's right. About the Scarecrow. With blood all over their face. And then I watched another one later and it was the same damn thing. It was like, uh, and I was with some people watching with others and I was like, oh, sorry guys. This is one of those ones where the British people talk to each other for an hour Oy. and there's like one shot of horror. <laughs> I'm watching this one and I thought, oh no, <laughs> because all of a sudden there were two women talking. I was like, yeah. no. Now, I will tell you that it is not a big offender of that, but there are places where they stop down in medium shots and have conversations, which is not a good way to go, in my opinion, when you have a movie called Spider in the Attic, because the cover, the movie poster, is a gigantic spider. Well, okay. You know, and you. You click on that to see a goddamn gigantic spider. Well, it, again, it's like when we watched the Wolfman one and there was no Wolfman. And then we watched another yeah. one not that long. I'm like, why are we calling it these things? So I will tell you that this movie does have the spiders. And uh, the best thing about it actually is, I mean, it's bad CGI and all that. I'm not saying they had any money. But there are spiders, and they are creepy as fuck, man. The the spiders. We don't have to curse. I did. I said I said the G D word and I said the F word oh, and Shannon, like I'm alive. on it. Because it's called spider in the attic. <laughs> There's no Oh God. It's just like mm, Okay, I know. You're hurting. My, I've got my hand hands my head in my hands. Because it's bad. It's just bad. But, you know, there were some spider shots that I thought they did a pretty good job with, but it just really never goes anywhere. There's too much talking, not enough spidering. So that's that. But if you like bad, low-budget movies from England, you're going to love it. It's amazing. So the last thing we would like to do on the show today in this December of ours is some horror facts answers where I know nothing and Kathy knows everything. I like that. I know. Okay, you ready? I'm so ready. There's a couple that I think I know. Well, let's give it a shot. There's lots that I don't. This 1980s popular toy company created their version of a monster shop. It looked interesting enough to pass as a true action figure playset, and even the cranking tool that gave your monsters hair it hinted at the sensibility of a torture device. So I'm guessing because I don't know, yeah. but Hasbro. Play-Doh. <laughs> it was a Play-Doh. I remember this thing. Wow, really? And so you could put the Play-Doh in and crank it, and then the monster would get hair, but it looked like a torture device. Yeah, I remember that too, now that you... Is Play-Doh Hasbro, or they're not the same? Play-Doh's Play-Doh, right? I have no idea, but... I remember the dolls where the hair would grow. So I remember that part of what you're saying. Let's see if it's the same company and then I'll give you points. <laughs> Get a half a point. I feel like this whole time she's been keeping track and at the end of yeah, the year, I, I'll get a prize. It looks like it might be Hasbro. Yeah, I think Hasbro owned everything in the 80s. So that's yeah. why I guessed it. I'm that like, well, Milton- I might get this right because it's like... <laughs> that and Milton Bradley. 
Yep. Okay, number two. This horror director suffered from ovophobia, a fear of eggs. So sad. Eggs are so tasty. Chicken eggs in particular mm-hmm. terrified him. I don't know. Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> okay. He's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> he also was like... scared of eggs? And his wife's pregnancy. Remember that one? No. Yeah, it was like from two weeks ago. Yeah, okay, remind everyone who doesn't remember like me. He couldn't stand to look at his wife when she was pregnant. Oh, that was him. Yeah. Sure. Number three, what subgenre of horror consists of the identity of the killer being a key plot point and many of the characters are not quite what they seem? I don't know. Giallo. Oh, oh. It was always from, you know, the glove. She just loves Giallo now. Do you remember, everyone, the episode we did on Giallo yeah. where she just ripped at a new asshole and now she likes no, it? No, I liked hate. it then, but most of it's bad. No, oh, yes, but that's like found footage. Right. <laughs> it's like, I like it because it's really the, where slashers came from. Yeah. Okay. I understand. It's the Old Testament. <laughs> Number four. So you accept it as it is. I accepted it. I don't try to change it. <laughs> no, because yeah. it's old. It's old. It's a testament. Giallo. What is Krampus's weakness? Well, fruit. How do we kill him, though? With a tree steak. Yeah, an evergreen steak. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> fruit. <laughs> well, I just know he'll... It was a run by sh- fruiting. That's his weakness. <laughs> if a kid gives him a piece of fruit, he has to sit down and eat it. Oh, I didn't. Why didn't I know that? I don't know. <laughs> I just happened. Do to Do they know. address that in the Krampus we like? I don't know because I've read about Krampus, oh, so I'm, okay. I'm actually yeah. not sure what's. Well, we'll find out in this. You know, season. so many facts. You don't even know if it's from that movie. <laughs> I know none of the facts. You know, <laughs> number five. The role ended up going to Johnny Depp, but what similar age peer almost won the role of Glenn in Nightmare on Elm Street? Charlie Sheen. Yeah, I knew that one. Awesome. That's the one I was sure of. And then I knew the fruit thing, but I didn't know if that was going to be your answer or not. I could have seen Charlie Sheen in that role, too. It would have been different, but, you know. No, for sure. It wouldn't have been totally off. No, it's perfect, like, either way, especially at that age. Exactly. I mean, yeah, same difference. I'm sure they were all competing for the same, Mm -hmm. same roles. All right. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening. Very much appreciate our December vibes. Join Patreon and join our Discord or just listen to the mini cast because we do extra material for our patrons. So thank you so much for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. 